welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, featuring your host, Angela Harders. We're committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. Together, we believe that the world is our biggest and best classroom, and the people and places in it are our greatest teachers. So I invite you to join me on the adventure of a lifetime, beginning with a conversation that can change the world. Today's episode of the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast is brought to you by the book Tales of a Toxic Teacher, Exposing the Cycles of Abuse Within Our Schools, written by Angela Harders. In this book, Angela shares some of the shocking experiences that happen behind the closed doors of a public school classroom and exposes some of the many abuses that take place in school, intentionally and unintentionally, and no one escapes unscathed. Tales of a Toxic Teacher will be available for purchase on Amazon.com on November 30th, 2021. You may also purchase signed copies from Angela's website, www.peacefulworldschoolers.com. Buy your copy today. Hello, and welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, where we're committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. My name is Angela Harders, and I am a special education teacher, the author of Gospel-Based Parenting and the Crunchy Kids series, and a proud world schooling mother to two amazing children, Sophia, who's seven, and Benjamin, who is three. Today on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, I have the privilege and honor of introducing you to Claire Ford. Thank you so much for joining us today as we have a conversation that can change the world. Thank you so much, Angela. I'm so excited to be on your incredible podcast. Oh, thank you for being here. I'm really excited to have you on and just to hear more about you. Um, But if you can get us started today, can you share a little bit about you, yourself, your family, your story? Sure. So uh, my name is Claire Ford. I'm an expert educator with over 20 years experience teaching uh, families, children from different walks of life, different backgrounds uh, in different countries around the world. And um, obviously during this pandemic, you know, how we teach our children has really been a question that all families have been asking. And so I'm so excited to have really stepped into the education space to be able to support families, regardless of what option they choose, but just to make sure that that option is right for them and their children. So that's what I'm really passionate about, unlocking that brilliance in your child and untapping all that juicy potential that is there and supporting parents to do that too. Mm. That's wonderful. And I totally agree with you. I'm a teacher as well. And uh, I've always said like one of the, I think one of the best things to come from this whole COVID situation is the fact that I feel like parents for the first time are really looking at the school system and really trying to evaluate, is this the best environment for my children? And I think that before 
we just kind of were going with the flow of things like you just you just go to public school and that's just kind of how things work. Um, but I'm really thankful that parents are, are taking a look at what's happening in the schools and really reflecting and being intentional about their educational choices for their kids. Um, I know that one of the things that you are committed to is really changing the face of education. Um, and, and that's something that you and I both are really standing in agreement on that there's a lot about education and the way that we've been doing things that needs to change. Um, and I wanna ask you, what do you think needs to happen to change the face of education? Yeah, I love this question. Just before I get into that, though, I just want to uh, rewind slightly to say, you know, my boys are both teenagers. And what happened two years ago at the beginning of the, the pandemic and the sort of first wave or whatever you want to call it, you know, both their opportunities to take their exams were taken away. So they were like 15 and 18, right, or 16 and 18. And the thing is, we'd been in the education system for so long that it wouldn't have been right for me to kind of take them out and throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, that's it, it's not working, you're not doing it. You know, so it's very, very difficult, depending on where you are on that journey and how long you've been in the system. Um, sometimes it's best to just kind of push on through and make the best of it and do what you can and, and get out at the end. Do you know what I mean? But for people who are starting off or like you with like a three year old or four year old, like, wow, I'm so excited for these opportunities for these children who have maybe never even been to school yet, that there are all these pathways that are opening up for them. So, you know, I just wanted to caveat that to say, I'm not a world schooling mom. I'm not a homeschooling mom. My children went down the traditional, you know, public school, grammar school route, you know, GCSEs, A-levels, but it wasn't quite traditional at the end. And they're very much their, their own selves, free thinkers, big dreamers. Um, and the system didn't work for them, actually. And that's what's motivated me to find alternative ways. So to get back to your question, what needs to change in the face of education? I think the easiest way to explain it in a nutshell, especially for people who are listening and can't see me, is that it's upside down, right? It's upside down. What I do at the Switched On Academy, what I've realized with all the teens that I've mentored, with you know the, the anxiety and the depression that my own sons have been through, um, you know, we lost a close friend of theirs to suicide. Like these are hard times for our kids, right? Do not underestimate how much stress and pressure they are under. You know, one of the other hats that I wear is um as um, an energy healer. And I had people coming to me with their children from as young as seven saying, my child is so anxious, you know, that I can't get them into school. So this was even pre-pandemic. So this is the pandemic before the pandemic, right? Kids' mental health was already a pandemic. Mm. It's just that nobody was actually going, actually, my kid's not well either. You know, my son, he had, um, he had to be on the waiting list over here in the UK for something called CAMS, which is a mental health uh, thing run by the government for our young people. On the waiting list for six months and he never even ended up getting seen. And I spoke to a doctor the other day. He said the CAMS waiting list for teens who are critical is something like one and a half years. That's too, right? that's too long. It's I mean, no you good. can no lose good. that time. Yeah, so, so because of all this that that had been going on in my life and my awareness just here in my little pocket in the UK right for for years I've seen this going on 
-hmm. in schools as a parent as a governor you know as a as a, a mentor for teenagers i thought okay we need a different approach and the switched on methodology does that so this is how i think the face of education needs to change where we're looking at the moment if we imagine a mountain right where we're most of us focused the um the parents the children the teachers the governors the the league tables the government the the politicians the whatever we're all focused at the top of the mountain right how did your child do you know is your child grade eight piano by the age of five, right? Is your child, you know, doing a TED talk by the age of 10? You know, all this ridiculous stuff, right? It's all ego driven. It's bullshit. Yeah. It's ego driven bullshit, which mm -hmm. makes us as parents feel like we're doing a better job. That's mm -hmm. all it is. I'm calling it out for what it is, right? Yeah. It's so we can give ourselves a pat on the back and go, oh, I'm a great mother. I take my I take my daughter to, to violin, to piano, to gymnastics, to drama, to singing classes. Why are you doing all of that? Yeah. Right. Your child is overscheduled and stressed out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're doing that to make us feel good. We're doing that because we're comparing ourselves with other parents. We're mm -hmm. doing that to please our own parents. Wow. Because granny will be pleased when she finds out that you're doing X, Y, Z, which is something she was interested in or something she tried to get me to do. And I was hopeless at. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why we're doing. That's why we're doing it. I totally agree. So this is why everybody's looking at the top of the mountain. What can they do? What grade are they now? What have they got? Right. Mm -hmm. Fastest in the swimming gala, you know, best at the horse riding competition, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be academic. And nobody's looking at the bits underneath the top of the mountain. Hmm. And this is what needs to be in place first. And the first thing that needs to be in place, right, before we even worry about the top of the mountain, is how the child is feeling. Yes. Right? Because I know, I mean, I've also uh, got some training as an exam invigilator, partly to help these poor children sitting these tests whether you agree with tests or not conversation for another day <laughs> but to help them sit these tests and manage their anxiety mm. manage the fear manage the overwhelm help them to create a space where it's like you know you it's okay you can do this just write your name <laughs> right now let's look at question one you know mm -hmm. right i help children with special needs sit their exams wow. so the thing is you know, and I know, and any parent knows, we don't have to have a doctorate in psychotherapy to know that an anxious, scared child cannot learn. Mm. Right? When yeah. we are worried about something, our, the frontal part of our brain doesn't work because the amygdala at the back is full of cortisol, which is fight, flight, freeze. Mm -hmm. This has been since the dawn of time you know, face with the man-eating tiger. You know, you're faced with the man-eating tiger, you've got to run away for your life. So you either run away, you fight the tiger, or you freeze so that it thinks you're dead. You're not going to suddenly say, do you know what? Let's have a debate about um, Aristotle and democracy. <laughs> you're not gonna say that. Right. Because your brain can't even form a sentence. Right. It's not supposed to. All the blood has gone to your muscles and your big organs in your body so that you can do what you need to do to stay alive. Yeah. And the problem that we've got in schools is that so many children are in this fight, flight, freeze mode. Mm. 
they can't engage their brain yeah because of bullying because of Con, um, concerns with um, you know um, all the, the the COVID stuff and the masks and the and the changes to the curriculum and now we're in school and now we're not in school and social anxiety and phobias and self-harming and social media and pressures mm. of exams and not liking a certain teacher and worry about their own families yeah how can they learn you're absolutely right but I think that you said something really unique too is that caring about children's mental health was the pandemic before the pandemic and being aware of that, the bottom part of the mountain, like you were talking about. And I mean, you just hit the nail right on the head because it's so true. This has been something, this, this level of anxiety and being in that fight flight or freeze mode for so many years. I mean, day after day after day, I, and I see children as a teacher, I've seen children literally come in with, extreme levels of anxiety and depression and serious mental health concerns. Um, but they're being put back into these environments where they're having to deal with that day in and day out. And it is, it is exhausting. And I truly believe um, it's, it's causing a lot of long-term harm in our children. Um, but it, you're right. This isn't something that just started with the pandemic. This was an issue long before. Um, and I want to, I want to thank you for, for being able to be a person that's helping these children um, in these environments, being able to deal with and address their, their anxiety as they're taking, you know, tests or even just experiencing the day-to-day of going in and maybe dealing with their peers that might be uncomfortable for them or a teacher, like you mentioned, having a teacher that maybe they're having conflict with. Um, but there, there are so many aspects to children's mental health that I feel like we just kind of brush under the rug and we don't really give it the value and attention um, and the urgency that it, it really deserves. And so I'm wondering what are some, what are some ways that parents can help support their children as they're dealing with this extreme burden of mental crisis, as they're dealing with this fight flight response dealing with school every day. I mean, of, of course, one of the things I advocate for is homeschooling um, and being able to remove your children from environments and situations that are toxic or even abusive. Um, but I'm wondering what are some other strategies that you would recommend for parents yeah. that have children that are struggling with mental health in school? Absolutely. And the thing is, first of all, as a parent, it's to not blame yourself, right? Mm -hmm everybody is doing the best they can with what they have and what they know. And the second thing is not to blame the teachers, right? Because the teachers, you were a teacher in mainstream schooling, I was a teacher in mainstream schooling. I absolutely worked my socks off to the point of actually having a nervous breakdown to make sure that the children in my care had as much emotional support as academic support, mm -hmm. right? The yeah. teachers have not got the support or the capacity to be mental health nurses, to be, um, you know, all the other things that they have to be, right? They right. haven't even got the capacity to just teach. Right. Right. So we can't put the emphasis and go, oh, it's up to the school. No, it's up to us as parents to put our stake in the ground and to take responsibility for our children's well-being and for our children's education. Firstly, it's up to us. And if you're not sure where to start, then, you know, obviously do your research, listen to podcasts like yours, right? Amazing. And then, so here's some tips that we can do as parents. This is what worked for me when my son 
was, you know, seriously depressed with suicidal tendencies. And I was, you know, very concerned. And it was very difficult to communicate with him because, you know, possibly I was part of the problem. So it's to understand that you could be part of the problem, not the solution. Mm. Very difficult as a parent, because you want to protect and to be the solution. You've always been the solution up until now. Mm. You might be the problem. You might be the one that's saying, well, you need to do the tennis and the piano and the this and the that and the that and the that and get the A and revise. And that might be your set in your mind, how you work. So right. we have to unpack what we're bringing to the table as parents, hmm. the unsaid conditions. Right, because that's taken me a long time to do. And, you know, I've done Dr. Shafali's Conscious Parenting. I've done my own kind of counseling around this because I found this very difficult. Yeah. Right. And so I wrote a book. Um, well, I co-authored a book called Not Another Parenting Book, Not Another Parenting Book. And in this book, the chapter that I wrote, and I think this sums it up, really, is called Nurturing the True Essence of Your Child. Mm. That's that, that is the tip. That is the secret. Mm -hmm. See the person who's in front of you for who they are, yeah. not for who you think they should be. Mm. That's powerful. It's powerful. And, and it's so, it can be really challenging as parents, because as you mentioned, we have all these expectations. We have our own expectations of our child. And, you know, we define success in different ways. So for example, for me as a teacher, I know that I was raised defining success as having good grades and being involved in sports and, you know, doing all these activities that you mentioned too. And a lot of that were my own expectations, but a lot of those expectations came from the way that I was raised with a strong emphasis on getting good grades and being involved in all the activities and keeping busy and doing all these things that, you know, other, um, other people thought were important for me, but maybe I didn't think were important or I didn't really care about. Um, and it's, it's difficult to, to really look at, as you mentioned, look at the person that's right in front of us and valuing our child as a unique individual with their own gifts and their own unique talents and their own unique passions and their own unique interests that are totally valid, even if they're different than mine. Yes. And that's what, that's our only job as a parent mm. and an educator. That is our only job. Yeah. Because once we nurture that, once we recognize and validate that, once that child is seen for who they are, is heard for who they are, once they can begin to become fully expressed, that for me is the ultimate goal for humanity. That yeah. is my mission of why I'm here at this time on this planet, in this body, in this lifetime to mm. ensure that our next generation becomes fully expressed in their own perfect version of themselves. Mm. That's beautiful. I love that. And so I'm assuming that that is what motivated you to start the Switched On Academy? Yeah, definitely. Can you share with us a little bit more about that process for you? What, what inspired that, that, I guess, changing you to finally say, we need something that can address this issue. I'm going to start Switched On Academy. 
Yeah. So again, it came from, you know, it came from my, it came from my, my sons and their friends who were just literally floundering in that first year of lockdown. And so I started a team program called Discovering Your Path. And I kind of used them as my guinea pigs and they used me as their mentor. And we kind of muddled through together, right? Mm -hmm. Because the thing is they'd lost all hope Mm -hmm. for the future, right? The environmental issues now, which are, you know, being talked about in slightly different way, but the environment, they're like, well, we're not going to have a planet to live on. We're not going to have jobs to go to. We're not going to be able, you know, the finance, all that everybody's talking about crypto and all of this, like all the old systems are breaking down. And so young people are looking around them going, well, what do we do? School's not working. Government's not working. Banks aren't working. The environment's not working. Mm -hmm. What the hell world are we ending up in to adult in? Yeah. Where, Where is this leading? Right. This is very scary. And they look around to the adults for support. And we're like, well, we don't know what's going on. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So they're floundering. They're feeling so anxious right now. They're well, what's the point of a five, you know, a five or an A star when we don't even know, like, if there's going to be a planet to live on. Right. It kind of puts it into perspective. And this is really serious issues for these young people. You know, they're very passionate about this. They're very passionate about the, um, you know, equality, diversity, environment. They're really passionate about this stuff, you know. And so I, I did this course to help them called Discover Your Path. And it gave them hope. Mm. It made them understand that they were here for a specific reason and that they could do a little thing with their gifts and talents and that would have a ripple effect that would be a positive effect in the world as a whole and it helped to redefine and re-establish where for any of us actually our own unique kind of path is and how that affects everybody on a bigger scale and then so if somebody was good at poetry they were like oh I didn't realize that was a gift wow you mean I can be a poet you mean I can write poetry for people in an old people's home and that will help them? I'm like, yeah, right? Or um, there was a young lady I, I taught and um, on this thing and she loved poetry. One of her things was to connect with her friends more. She was feeling very isolated. She was not doing what her soul wanted her to do, which was to express herself through poetry. So mm-hmm. I set her a little challenge to work with her friend and to come up with this poem. She wrote the most amazing poem, 13 year old, she actually came out as um, as homosexual in her poem. Mm. She actually used that as a vehicle to fully express her identity and her sexuality. Mm. And without having the permission and the space to do that, she was just so locked in herself mm-hmm. that it was making her depressed. Wow. And that's just a small, tiny example, but well, with such a huge knock-on effect because now she accepts herself and she's done her visualization and her vision boards and all of this and she knows who she is and why she's that and what she can bring to the world Mm. that's just a small example of one of the courses I do they're not all academic courses you see this is all about personal development emotional well-being spiritual growth Mm -hmm. we have to look at the whole person 
And that's why we're turning that mountain upside down and we're starting with how is this person feeling? Who is this person? What are their strengths? And then how do they see themselves fitting in with the world? And once you have that, then you have that internal motivation, that validation, and the sky's the limit. You know, I've got six-year-olds who are published authors. I've just done a quest uh, where I've got a nine-year-old who's published her book, and she wants to get it, um, she wants to use it to raise money for charity in India when she goes back to visit her family in India. Wow. Age nine. That's incredible. Now, these things aren't available in schools. People don't have the headspace or the bandwidth. Mm -hmm to even contemplate such things yeah so I'm like an alchemist I break the boundaries right yeah I'm anti-establishment and yet I still value numeracy literacy right systems to teach right I get all of that so I have this hybrid approach where you have the well-being and the personal development the internal motivation and drive and then you have the pedagogy underneath to support that, not the other way around. Mm. That's beautiful. I, I love I love that you're focusing on the child as an individual and and those those skills and who they are as a human being first. And it's almost like like the content is secondary, you know, um, and not that it's not important, of course, learning math and learning how to read and write and all these things, these are important skills to have, of course, but who you are as a human being matters infinitely more than any, you know, math curriculum that you could be doing. And it's funny because I I had a conversation with a parent recently, actually earlier this morning. um, And I was talking with her about her daughter's experience in, in school. And she was just sharing with me about how her daughter's really been struggling. A lot of the same things she's in high school, she's been dealing with depression and suicide and Um, And she's been considering pulling her daughter out to homeschool. And um, of course, that's a totally new thing. You know, most people haven't thought about homeschooling before recently. Um, And I was asking her about, you know, what would you want your daughter to learn? Um, And she started, oh, I want to, I want my daughter to learn everything. I want her to learn math and science and social studies. And um, I want her to read and write. and, And it was like, she was giving me this school schedule, you know? And, and I just said to her, I was like, okay, I get that you want your daughter to learn reading and writing and math and science and social studies, but I want you to think outside of the school box. What do you really want your child to learn in this life? What is really valuable for you to learn? If you could have your daughter learn anything in the world, what would it be? Think outside the school. And I was like, so for example, for myself, when I asked myself that question, what do I want my daughter to learn? I want her to learn how to problem solve. I want her to learn how to do what she loves. I want her to learn how to persevere. I want her to learn how to be patient. You know, like these character qualities that make the human being, you know, like be who they are going to be in the world. I want my daughter to learn to be kind. I mean, sheesh, I'm like, if I could just master that one thing, like helping teach my daughter what it means to be a kind, respectful, compassionate human being, like that would be a win for me, you know? Um, it is, it's so hard for us to, to step back from looking at school and this list of subjects that we want them to learn and to step back and say, what do I really want my child to learn? I want them to learn 
personal development, personal growth, emotional intelligence, you know, all of these kinds of things that, that are so important. Um, and so can you share with us about why you believe it is important to incorporate those other aspects of learning, not just the, the math, the reading, the writing, you know, spelling, whatever those things, why is it important that we incorporate emotional intelligence, personal growth, personal development, um, that, that bottom of the mountain kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's really important. And I can sum it up in a couple of words. Um, it's because we want them to be human beings not human doings. Mm. That's why. Yeah. That's how we will change the face of humanity. Mm. Because you see, the being part of it is not something that can be replicated by AI. Mm -hmm. The doing part of it can be replicated by numbers and codes mm -hmm. and robots. Right. So... You can't get a computer or a robot. You can only go so far when you say, I want a creative problem-solving approach. <laughs> right? Right. So if they are to have a relevancy in a future, it has to be the soft skills mm. which are valued. Wow. You can't I never ask thought the about that. You can't ask a computer to be kind. Yeah. You can't say to a robot who's working out your insurance premium and using all the data that's been put in, because you don't need to be on the phone to somebody to work that out. Yeah. You can't say, oh, could you deliver this message kindly because the family's just gone through a bereavement? Mm. Like the robot won't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> so the soft skills, which has been, you know, basically played down in our patriarchal society for the last however many hundred years, which are seen as, you know, feminine skills or, um, you know, I don't know, lesser than. Mm -hmm. They are the things which are going to be worth currency. They yeah. are the things which employers will pay you to be. Mm -hmm. You can be trained in anything. Children don't need to go to school to learn. You're a world schooler. You know, let's face it, the classroom is open 24-7 all around the world. They just need this to learn from. They don't need to go to a classroom to learn. <laughs> but here's the thing. The skill that I would want my children to learn, and which I teach them, and I teach all my students, is curiosity. Mm. You see, the quality of the question determines the quality of the answer. Mm -hmm. And if they don't know how to ask a high quality question, then their life is only going to be a certain level of mediocrity. Right. But when you can start to question better and ask more and dig deeper and find something that is meaningful and relevant and purposeful to you, then you can achieve and become and be and do and have whatever you want to be. Mm. And it's funny because we really don't teach children how to ask high quality questions in school. Mm -hmm. In school, as the teacher, I'm the one that's asking the question and their job is to answer. And there's you know one right answer, usually one, maybe two or three, but there's a specific answer that I'm looking for and either they get it or they don't. 
but we yeah. really don't teach them the skills of asking high quality questions that make a difference in the world. Yes. And the thing is, you know, how frustrating, you know, hands up any parent here. How frustrating is it when your child, you know, especially around the age your youngest one is three or four or five, they're always asking why, but why mommy? But why? Oh, for goodness sake, I haven't got time. I'm making your tea. I'm doing the washing. <laughs> I'm getting your school bag ready. I don't know why. Right. We squash it down. And yeah. as a teacher, you haven't got time for 30 students to be asking you high quality questions. Mm -hmm. You haven't got time, right? I had a, a, a boy who came to me, um, a very high functioning boy on the autistic spectrum, came to me for some 11 plus work, which we do over here to get into good secondary schools. And he was really stroppy one day, right? He came in in a big straw, all humphy. You know how boys can get ooh, all humphy. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. They're like, what's the matter with you? He's like, oh, he's like, my teacher didn't listen to me. I was like, okay, what did you, what did you ask her? What did you say? He said, well, I was asking her about, you know, how the world started and about the Big Bang Theory. And this probably wasn't in a science lesson. And I was thinking, oh, poor teacher, no wonder she didn't know what to say. She wouldn't have had time to explain all of that, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> She's getting them all ready to go outside or something. Mm -hmm. And he was really cross. And I said, well, funnily enough, Harvey, I've just written a beginner's course on um, astronomy for kids. <laughs> <laughs> right so I'd love to talk to you about this stuff and his eyes lit up he was like oh my gosh that's amazing mm -hmm. so it's about starting where they're at as well mm -hmm. so you know that question that you asked that mum at the beginning like if you could learn if your daughter could learn anything what would you want her to learn I would actually suggest that that's not even the right question mm. right I would suggest that the question is if your daughter could learn anything she wanted to learn let's ask her what she would like to learn. <laughs> yes. And actually that was the second part of our conversation, but I started by asking her and then I followed up with that. And I said, you know, when we talk about the possibility of homeschooling, it is kind of that beautiful marriage and that conversation of that, of you looking as a parent and saying, okay, what are the, you know, the skills that I think are important. And then exactly what you said, because at the end of the day, it doesn't much matter. If I want my child to learn piano and they don't care about piano, doesn't really matter, you know? Um, exactly. And if, if I want my child to learn whatever, I mean, if I want my child to do X, Y, Z, but if that's not something that's valuable or important for them, it's again, it's not really going to matter. But again, going back, as you mentioned and asking them, what do you want to learn about? What is important mm -hmm. to you? What are you passionate about? Um, and then being able to come together as a parent, because I do think that as parents, we have some, you know, wisdom, you know, in the sense that, you know, it's important. I want my daughter to learn how to cook food because for me, that was a skill that I wasn't taught. And I was like, I want you to learn how to do those things. Um, and then I invite her to come. And then we have a conversation about that. Hey, I think this is an important skill for you what do you think, you know, like, how would you like to learn this? Do you want to learn this yet? You know, and, and being able to have that dialogue and conversation of values of these are things that I, as an adult, as someone that loves you and cares for you, this is, this is something I think is valuable. What do you think about that? What are the things that you think are valuable? And then how can we fit that in to, to the things that we're doing on a daily basis? And how can I learn to value the things that you value? Mm. Um, You've got to start bringing that yeah. up. Yeah, you've got to start with where the child or where your student is at, you know, and, and in um, something that I did in my community um, is I did a kind of a planning the week ahead 
for parents who were feeling very overwhelmed at the time. But it was based around this kind of project-based learning. But in the, in the middle is the interest of your child. Yes, you might want to bake. I hate baking, right? I'm not gonna teach my child to bake. I don't care if they need to learn how to cook food. Being in the kitchen is not my idea of fun. Can't stand it. Can't stand the time that's wasted and the mess that's made, right? I can find a much better way to connect with my child for me than to cook. However, if they wanted to be star baker and enter some kind of competition and produce the best Halloween cake with a ghosty face or whatever it is, of course, then I would try my hardest to accommodate that for them. Right. Yeah. But that's not necessarily yeah. my skill set. So I think it's about understanding what your own strengths and weaknesses are as well as a parent. You know, and just because you may be, you know, an incredible scientist and mathematician, well, if you've got a creative person who who loves daydreaming and has their head in the clouds and just wants to create art and pottery and poetry, well, then you're not going to be the best person to help them with that. Right. And it's about understanding that and going, OK, I can't bring those strengths to the table to support my child with their particular interests right now. Yeah. So who can I bring in instead? What can I, what else can I do instead? Not try to mold them around to, well, let's do a little bit of pottery, but then let's look at why this is happening in the oven when we put this in in the glazer. No, they don't want to know about the process. That's your thing, right? No. So this is why yeah. I say nurture the true essence of your child. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. yes, you know, we have to look at our own strengths and weaknesses at our own capacity, our own financial um, ability, our own mental capacity when we're running our own business and things like that. How much time have we got? You know, what's our bandwidth to actually do this homeschooling because I think lots of people think oh I'd love to take my child out of school and homeschool and you know that's fine but be clear like you said on your values be clear on why you're doing it in the first place right not just because oh of COVID not good enough reason this is a lifelong commitment now yeah right this is a serious lifelong commitment and your child is depending on you to make the right decisions on their behalf Mm-hmm. So it has to be taken really seriously, not just as some kind of a whim yeah. and um, and not from a place of fear, like, oh, if they go back, they'll be bullied or whatever. Yeah. But look at actually how much can you do? How much knowledge have you got? Where are your gaps? What are your gifts, passions, talents and attributes? The same as you would do for them. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to learn this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is that curiosity again. Ask why? hmm. Yes. And I think you brought up something really interesting too. A lot of times when people think about homeschooling, I hear a lot of parents say, oh, I could never homeschool. Maybe they, they didn't go to college or they didn't finish high school or they got bad grades or, you know, whatever. And, and they, they feel, a lot of parents really feel inadequate um, to teach their own kids, which I think that should be kind of a red flag. Like if you did go to high school and graduate and you don't feel capable of teaching your, your child, um, that would be something to kind of consider. But again, I think that goes back to a lot of the stuff that we learn in high school hasn't really been useful for us in, in our real life. Um, but you brought up something really important that it doesn't all have to be us, you know, like we can look for other people that can come and join our children and support them in their learning, whatever that looks like and whatever they're passionate about. 
And, um, and I think that's a beautiful gift to be able to give our kids, to be able to say, I'm here to help you and support you as much as I can. And part of me helping you and supporting you in your learning is connecting you with the experts that are in this field, that get your passions, that get your interests, and that can give you real life, real world opportunities to pursue those passions. Uh, yeah you outsource it's like becoming the project manager right right. (laughs) and you're like right okay this is the list of things they want to do you know and I can do that many of them right so like oh my goodness how are we going to do those (laughs) when are we going to do them how do we juggle that how do we balance that how do we map that out right so Mm -hmm. it's like becoming a CEO business mom right (laughs) of this homeschooling kind of thing and and really look at it like that strategic become strategic yeah right? budget for it prepare for it plan for it even if it's no schooling and you're like oh we like to just drift through the day and do what we like when we like brilliant but why are you doing that yeah what is that serving because you can't get that time back so are you having conscious curious conversations while you're drifting about or is it because you need some time out for yourself Mm -hmm. and that's fine it doesn't matter what it is but do you know why you're doing it be intentional with your time yeah that I love that that you can be intentional with your time even if it is if it does look like kind of sitting back a little bit and and covering um and I think a lot of families as they begin the homeschooling process we forget that one of the most important things that we can do as we're transitioning from a schooling environment into a life learning or homeschooling sort of environment is to go through that process of de-schooling where we can really step back and ask those questions that you mentioned, ask why, ask why, why are we learning what we're learning? Why is my child being, you know, taught X, Y, Z. Why are we investing our time in this way? Why do we want to spend our time in this way? Um, and, and start asking those questions and really give yourself that space to kind of disconnect from everything that was going on, reconnect to yourself and your values and your, and your goals and your passions and your gifts, and then be able to move forward with intention and purpose. So, um, it it is, it can be difficult though, to kind of, um, take that space and where it doesn't quite look like the learning that we're used to. But doing that intentional like inner work, I think is so, so important for not only for our children, but for us as parents to, to really it's do that. Inner vital. Work. It's absolutely vital. And the thing is, a way to reframe it rather than thinking, oh, I'm wasting my time or I'm taking too long. Or, I'm still so confused and people are judging me. Da, 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 da. A way to reframe it is that actually I'm being the best role model I can be for my child. Mm. If they see me doing this inner work, if they see me taking time out, if they see me having a lazy morning, if they see me questioning things, if they see me debating with family members, these are brilliant skills. This goes back to the bottom of that mountain. This goes back to the foundation. Stop looking at the top, Mm -hmm. right? The academic success will come when everything else is in place. Right. Because otherwise, all you're doing is you're trying to badly replicate an already broken system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In which case, just send them back to school and save yourself the stress. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and, and I think it goes back to what you're saying about 
focusing on being human beings and not human doings. Because if we can focus on who we are being in the world, that's going to inform what we're doing. You know, if I'm being someone who's patient, if I'm being someone who's kind, if I'm being someone who's reflective and curious, like you mentioned, a curious person, someone who's being curious is going to do things out of that curiosity. They're going to start testing out the scientific method. They're going to explore. They're going to research. They're going to dream. They're going to wonder. They're going to create, you know? So if we can focus on that being, who do I want to be in the world? And then allow that being to inform what we do, that's going to make the difference in the world. Absolutely. I love that. So can you share with us a little bit more about, um, I know that you do this work, that you offer these courses for teens. Um, and then I saw on your website also, you also offer courses for parents as well. Is that correct? Can you, yes, share, with um, us, can you share with um, us some more about that? Yes, I'm developing some of those because um, what I realized is so powerful um, with this whole kind of like, um, be the person you want your children to become right, Mm -hmm. is that we have to go on this learning journey with them together. And I call this the shoulder to shoulder approach, right? So it's not like me teaching you opposites, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, obviously, you're a little bit older and wiser than your child. So you're slightly in front of them. But the thing is, it's like, well, do you know what, if you're asking these curious questions, to be honest, these are curious questions, I wish I'd asked years ago, and I was never allowed to. And here's the thing, I don't actually know the answer. Mm. (laughs) But if we're clever, we can go and be detectives together and work it out. Mm. And this is exactly what I did when I created my first book on the um, in the Switched On Academy, co-authored with other young uh, authors who went through my writing program. I didn't say to them, right, here's the thing. This is what you're doing. We did it together. I said, right, I'm writing a book and you're going to be in my book. Your stories are going to be in my book. So as I'm giving you the strategy for planning your story, I'm doing the same for my book. Mm. As I'm giving you the strategy to hook the reader and to write your opening sentence, I'm writing that for my book. What do you think about this? And then, you know, what do you, and so we did it together. And then when they saw their stories in the book, they understood the whole process. Mm. And it was something that we co-created, that we collaborated on. So not only is curiosity really important, that's the first pillar in my methodology, is that collaboration. The second pillar is collaboration. It's absolutely crucial that you collaborate as a learner with your child Mm. or your teen. You don't just sit them in front of the screen and babies, off you go, learn that. (laughs) No. Right. Right, when when parents, when families come through my, my writing programs, it's a joint effort. The whole family's involved. The parents involved. I say to them, this isn't, this isn't just like English tuition where you plonk them down in front of me for an hour and you pay and that's it. Yeah. No, they're going to need your support. They're going to need yeah. your input. They're going to need to bounce ideas off you. Yeah. And the parents are like, wow, we can't believe what they can achieve in this space of time. It's remarkable. Mm-hmm. But that's because it's a collaborative effort. Parent, mm-hmm. tutor student Mm -hmm. all together and that's crucial yeah and you mentioned that curiosity is the first pillar um and then collaboration is the second pillar i'm i'm curious now what are the other pillars of the (laughs) learning method yeah so there's only three so the first one 
of actually curiosity and collaboration are the, the, set, the number two and three. But oh. the first one, the one that comes before those two, and we did touch on it a little bit at the beginning of our conversation, is clarity. It's that why. It's simply that. Why am I learning this? Why is this meaningful to me? Right? Mm-hmm. Why, why am I doing it in the first? Why, why am I even bothering to get out of bed and have this conversation with you? Right? Yeah. We have to be clear on what it is we're doing. It has to be relevant and meaningful to the learner, not mm-hmm. to the teacher. Mm-hmm. Right. So if, for example, our answer to our child, where they go, oh, mom, but why do I have to learn this? Right. If our answer is, well, because I say so, which is what my mom used to tell me, <laughs> not good enough answer. No. So then you bring out the big guns. Well, because, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, you know, Mrs. Harders wants you to learn it. Right. <laughs> no, not good enough reason. So then we're like, oh, okay, we need to try out something. Well, you know, because it's in the curriculum, it's the government. The government wants you to learn it. Everybody's learning this. <laughs> Still not good enough reason. Right. The reason has to come from inside the person, not extrinsically. Right. Well, and the uh, other one too, they say, oh, well, you might need to use this someday. That's my favorite. Teachers say that all the time. When, yeah. Whenever a student asks me, why do I need to learn how to graph a quadratic function? Oh, because yeah. you might need to use this someday. When? <laughs> you see, I don't say that. So any, any students I teach math to, I say, I've never, never used this in 30 years. The only reason I'm teaching it to you is so you get two extra marks, which might be that pushes you up to the next grade. And then you'll never have to look at it again in your life. Right. And that's what I say. Yep. So me too. If, you, me too. if you want those two extra marks, let's do that. Otherwise, don't lose sleep over it. We'll move on. Yep. I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Be honest. Yeah. You're- if it's not a big enough why, you're, you're not switched on learner. And that's why I use switched on. Yeah. Right? If, if that student's why isn't big enough, if I don't create the environment in which they can find that big enough why that works for them, Mm-hmm. they're not going to get the results that I know I can get them. Yeah. And that's the piece that's missing. That is a huge, I mean, that is, that's it right there. That's why right? I say it's the first piece <laughs> that's why with your, with your parent that you mentioned. That's why I said, well, why does she want her to learn those? And why does the child want to learn it? And have you even asked the child in the first place? Right. Right. That's the right. first piece. Yes. Yeah. I, I love that. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, and I love the fact that you are, that you collaborated together with these kids to write this book. I'm so curious to, to read it. Um, and oh. I'm actually, I'm going to um, make sure that I include a link to that book if you were interested, but can you tell yeah. the title of Lollipops and Rainbows, Teaching Literacy with Soul? That's awesome. So we will include a link to Lollipops and Rainbows um, in the description. So if you are interested in that book, you can buy that. Um, and that is something, you know, I'm an author as well. I love to write. Um, my, my daughter has been watching me write. And so she's seven. She published, she, she's published two books already herself, um, which is so cool to see. I love seeing her excitement and her passion for writing. Um, and, and we're, you know, of course we're working and we're growing. And that's something that a lot of people have asked me is that how, as an unschooler, how do you, you know, teach writing? Cause we're not really I mean, yes, we're teaching, but it's, it, it looks different than when it's the school system of sit down, write about this book or write about this prompt or, you know, it, it just, it looks different when you're teaching writing from a space of, 
of creativity and passion and expressing yourself versus teaching writing from a place of force and coercion and manipulation of I'm telling you, you have to write about X, Y, Z. And so I'm wondering, how do you teach writing or what strategies can you share? Because I'm beginning this journey with a seven-year-old. So teach me, how how can you you teach writing? I'm so excited you asked me this. So I've actually got a complete writing course. I've got a complete writing course, which can be delivered anywhere in the world. Uh, at any time zone that works for you and the complete writing course I wish I could show you a little picture actually but basically (laughs) if you think of a circle that's cut into three pieces right so my course is called as easy as pie right so Uh imagine a pie and it's cut into thirds and so I have broken down the reason for writing that clarity right I've broke I'm like why are we teaching children to write that was my first question before writing this course (laughs) Why? why? What, what skills do they need to learn? Why is it important? And of course, as you know, my passion is about becoming fully expressed. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, words are really important, right? Words are really important. You know, our, what we think is words, how we create is words, right? When we, when we tell somebody, give instructions, it's all about words. So actually, words, communication, language, literacy, writing is all really important to become fully expressed mm-hmm. so that motivated motivated me to com- to write this course so I'm like okay so what are the what are the kind of bits of writing that are so important like it's not just about writing stories okay and not all people who are writers are creative so I'm like okay there's there's let's think about this so my three bits of the pie are p i and e So the P is writing to persuade. I have lots of elements of writing to persuade. And if you think about young entrepreneurs, right? I've worked with several young entrepreneurs who set up businesses during lockdown. And they love this because this is all about um, things like this, right? Podcasts, but this is all about things like writing social media content, writing emails, writing blogs, um, all this kind of stuff, right? This is all writing to persuade. Very important for... um, for entrepreneurs but also for for older students writing to get into university writing their personal statements Mm -hmm. right what can they put in there that's going to make them stand out so we talk about all of that kind of stuff and then the second piece of our pie is the i which is writing to inform and again this is very different to writing stories you know in fact my son who is an incredible writer very creative writes play scripts and everything else At school, he fell down on this bit because he was too wordy and metaphorical and all this. And they're like, no, we just need the list. We just need the points. (laughs) Right. So this is for our scientists, for our engineers, for people who are going to be inventors and develop new products. And they're going to have to give instructions and they're going to have to tell people how and they're going to have to write down formulae and they're going to have to do all of that kind of stuff, put stuff into the computer so the computer can do it. Mm. Very clear, concise, precise instructions. It's a very different skill. So writing to inform is really important as well. And then we have the E, the P-I-E. We have writing to entertain. And that's where we have all our creatives, our poets, our artists, our illustrators, our comic strip makers, our uh, myths and legends and story writers. Mm-hmm which again is a very different kind of writing to the other two. And so that's why I call it the complete writing course because 
you get a little bit of each of the pie and you've given your child those life skills that they need to set them up in whatever direction they end up blossoming into. Mm -hmm. I love that. Easy as pie. (laughs) That's a great way to remember the three different purposes of, of writing and the why behind our, our writing. Um, Do you, so do you like, I guess, how do you inspire children to write with their own why? Like, I mean, I'm assuming not everyone is writing, wanting to write informative or persuasive, you know, there's kind of those different purposes, or do you actually encourage them to write in all three formats in the same piece of writing? Not in the same piece of writing, no, but over a period of three months. So in one month, they'll try one style. In the second month, they'll try a second style. And in the third month, they'll try a third style. And within that three-month period, they'll, they'll have created a book, which will be a hardback published book, which they will then receive, which is... So, for example, in October, we did... Uh, writing to inform and recipes was our topic Mm -hmm. and so one of my uh, students who's just gone through there she's just uh, literally published her own recipe book which she's used grandmother's recipes and sister's recipes and they're all in the book and so this is that collaborative element that now they can make these meals they can sit down as a family they can discuss this and of course her self-esteem has gone through the roof because people come around they're oh let's use your book Deja for our spaghetti bolognese today do you see what I mean so this is where it's meaningful relevant and purposeful Mm -hmm. and yet she's learned the skills the writing skills to write to inform to be specific with her amounts and all of that Um, so yeah that's just one little example that's awesome I really I really like that a lot and I'm I'm very curious about more about how I guess how you teach that process of writing I would love to learn more myself Um, I know one of the things that I've tried to do to encourage writing again is just giving children the opportunity to write about whatever they want, you know, having that kind of creative writing piece of, of, you know, freedom of expression and using writing as a, as a means to do that. Cause I truly feel like in, in schools, a lot of times kids aren't connected to that, that why of why writing is important and why it's such a valuable skill to be able to, to have in the world. Um, and yeah, so my, my daughter's just beginning again, her, her writing journey. And so with us, it, you know, it looks a little bit different, um, because she's still learning how to write, like the, the mechanics of it, right. Like the, the spelling and the grammar and things like that. Um, and a lot of people have asked me, you know, too, how, how do we incorporate writing with the, with the little ones? Um, so it seems like your course is great for like the older ones. Um, Is that something that you think is also applicable to the younger ones as well? Or is there a different approach with the little ones? Um, I mean, I think it's just about timing and about being intuitive about how, when to help them push through, push when they're a bit resilient and it feels a bit hard. It's that knowing when to help them push on to get to the end or when like, no, it's okay, let's stop, let's have a break, you know? So it's about understanding that when they're slightly smaller. But no, I've had six-year-olds come on my creative writing quest and have written, you know, eight, eight chapter books, you know? But their parents have typed it. Like I've said, I'm not interested in, yes, I teach them spelling, grammar and punctuation, of course, but I'm not interested in the actual handwriting itself. Like don't get them to write it all out. And then, you know, if they can dictate it into a phone and you can use web to transcribe it and upload it and download it and edit it and do it as fast as you like. Brilliant. Let's work smarter, not harder. Right. So 
you know, it's not for me about the actual process of writing. The, the courses that I've created use Google documents and things like that. So the children share them and the parents help them. And then I annotate them, edit them, mark them, give them live feedback on a Google document. So it, it's not, I do teach handwriting online, but it's not about that. It's about a creative expression, getting the ideas out, um, using our resources, our technology to help us, not hinder us. Yeah. And that, that's really important too, because I think a lot of times we do, we get hung up on the mechanics of it. And um, I, with my daughter, one of the things that she really enjoys and that we use is a three-year journal. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, it's a three-year journal. I'll, I'll put a link in the description, but a three-year journal where basically every day they have like one question and about them. And, um, and so they have a different question every single day through the whole year and the kids have a spot to write their answer and it repeats every three years. So they have like three year spots on one page. And it's really cool because she's able to see how her answers change over time, um, how they stay the same over time. And some of the questions are funny. Some of them are really like deep and, and I mean, really deep and insightful. And so we do that every night. She writes, you know, one answer to her question. That's just a way for her to kind of practice. Um, but that was definitely something that we ran into as well. Cause I, I wanted her to practice her writing, but I, you know, we started this when she was five. And so, um, you know, a lot of the questions would ask, for example, what kind of animal do you feel like today and why, you know, um, and she could write dolphin, but for her to write, I feel like a dolphin because da, 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 I mean, it was just, it was overwhelming for her. And so I really got that the writing is not just about the mechanics of you being the one to sit there with the pen to the paper and you doing all this painstaking work. Like, I'm like, I want her to love writing. And so I would have her write as much as she could. And when she was done writing, I was like, okay, cool. I'll write the rest, you know? And over time she's, she's writing more and more herself, but I wasn't forcing her to write the whole paragraph and answer the question herself. No, it's like, I really want you to enjoy this and your answer is valuable. So even if I'm the one that's physically doing the writing part, it, it's, it's still, it's okay, you know, and being able to use technology, like you mentioned, like Google Docs, you know, if you've got a, a six-year-old that's got an eight chapter book inside of her, like waiting to come out in the yes. world, she doesn't have the time to handwrite an eight chapter book, you know? That's right. And, and, and it's okay that we as parents can come in and support them in that writing process and say, you dictating your story yeah. is just yeah. as valuable as you sitting down and handwriting it for ages. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And, and this is the thing, this is, how, this is how we blow the lid off expectations, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got testimonials from mothers who've literally said like, OMG, I was literally blown away. Like where have all these ideas come from? Mm -hmm. I didn't know my child had this inside them. Yeah. Because nobody had unlocked them because they were limited by their own ability, mm -hmm. but they haven't been limited by their own creativity. Yes. Right? So let's get rid of, yeah, let's get rid of the ability thing that's stopping them and just give them a different way. Yes. This is where the curiosity comes. Okay, you've got these amazing ideas and you're babbling on, right? But you can't write all of that down. So then as a parent, you're like, well, how else can we do that then? 
How else? Curious question. How else? Yes. What else? Where else? Who else? Right? Who else has done this? Yeah. Who else do I know who's got a six-year-old who's written a book? No one. Oh, let me look at the testimonials on Claire's website. <laughs> How have they done it? Right? Do yeah. you see what I mean? There's yeah. always a way. There's always a way. Yes. And, and, you know, some of the children get caught up with the illustration side. Sometimes when they're writing their books, give them the opportunity to do illustrations. And some of them are oh, not very good at drawing and all of this. So I show them all the different books of all the children that have created who've gone before. And I said, well, this person used this. This person used this. This person used their iPad. This person used pen and ink. This person used felt tip. This person took a photo. This person built a thing in their room and took a photo of that. Right. Yeah. This person did it. And they're like, oh. Okay, and so one of the girls in my latest one who, who was getting in a real tizzy about it, in her in the final, uh, we do a little author interview at the end, and her mum actually said, she said one of the surprising things that came out of this quest wasn't just the book and the writing, but it was actually, because uh, she loved gaming, her daughter loved gaming, they actually made an avatar for her character on this special thing, right? Uh -huh. And so then they're using the technology that she's passionate about mm. to create it in another way. Wow. So there's always another how else. Uh -huh. Don't let our limitations yeah. and our children's capabilities stop them from becoming fully expressed. <laughs> I absolutely love that. It's funny that you say that because that was something that I encountered too when I was writing. I was writing my first children's book. Um, it's it's um, it was about essential oils, and when I was writing it, that was where I got stuck. I was like, I had the words, you know, I had everything down. It was rhyming. It was all fitting together. But then I was like, okay, I'm not an illustrator. <laughs> I don't know how to illustrate. I don't know how to draw. Um, how can I publish a children's book without? illustrations you know and so I did I had to figure out my how else and so what I came up with was kind of like a Lizzie McGuire style almost I used pictures like real life pictures as the backgrounds and I did like I drew the character um and I got this program that would help you know teach me how to like trace and draw different like characters so it's like I could learn the character but to, for me to draw like the whole landscape just felt overwhelming um and so that was what I did and and my daughter same thing like she did her first book and she wasn't really excited about the drawing piece and so she chose to use real pictures instead and so I mean there you're right there are there are hundreds of different ways to express yourself in writing and in creative ways um and I think that's really cool that I mean even that process of creating her own avatar like using something that she loved and was passionate about to be able to meet, the, meet this need that she had in a way that so resonated with with the kind of person that she is and what she's passionate about and what she's interested in and she found a way to make it work um, exactly and, and that's switched on learning that <laughs> is that is switched on learning yes right that is exactly what I pride myself in the academy for being able to show students that they can achieve yes. what they think is impossible. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, no, we're in the realm of infinite possibility. There's nothing impossible. Yeah, you're right. There's nothing that is impossible. And as long as our kids are in this a supportive and loving environment with parents that are willing to ask those kinds of questions, think outside the box. And as you said, um, honor the true essence 
of who our child is. Like that, that is what makes the difference. That is the switched on learning, um, being able to support them in that. So thank you so very much, Claire, just for this incredible work that you're doing and inspiring the next generation to be who they are, um, to be fully expressed in the world, to take on their learning in a powerful and empowering way. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm so, so ex excited and honored that we have been able to <laughs> connect um, and to just share. I feel like we have so many, you know, things in common and just our heart for for having children be fully expressed and to be fully loved and accepted for who they are as individuals. Um, and so I'm so grateful that we were able to connect. And I wanna also give my, my listeners an opportunity to connect with you too. So if someone is listening today and they're really resonating with, with you and with the work that you're doing in the world, or perhaps they have a child who's in, in school or homeschooled or whatever that looks like for them. And they want to be a part of Switched On Academy and the work that you're doing. How can we get connected with you, Claire? Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, I'm always open for a conversation. I love talking to people. So um, my website is switchedonglobal.com. That's probably the easiest, quickest place to go to. And then you can connect with me on there. There's opportunities to, uh, to schedule in a conversation. I, I run something which I call a student success session, which is a free, no obligation call, where literally that's what we want to do. How do we get your student to be successful? And so I go through a game plan with you. I explain my methodology, you know, much more um, in much more depth. Um, go through then with you any courses that might be relevant. And then if we decide to work together, we decide to work together. And if we don't, you've gone away with a game plan, knowing exactly what questions to ask and where to look for a way to support your child in their learning. So, yes. Yeah, so find me on the website, switchedonglobal.com and book in your student success session. And then we can have a conversation. <laughs> Wonderful. And Claire, you're also on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. Yes, all those places. I don't know what I'm doing on them, but I'm on them. <laughs> I feel that way sometimes too. Um, but I will make sure that I include all those links as well. So if you are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, make sure that you check the show notes. And um, that way you can follow Claire, follow her journey, connect with her um, and all the social media platforms, share this incredible, incredible work that she's doing with the world. Um, and I hope that, that it will make a difference for you and for your children and for your family and for the world, um, because our kids are going to create amazing things through, through writing and through these different areas of, that they're expressing their passions and their interests, um, with the world. And, and that's, what's going to make the difference. So, um, thank you so very much for joining us today on the peaceful world schooling podcast. I truly hope that this blessing has been as much of a blessing for you as it was for me, make sure that you um, subscribe to my channel because there are new episodes of the podcast that are released every Tuesday. So you will not want to miss a single one. And if you would also like to support me and the work that I'm doing, make sure that you share this episode with your friends and family and consider connecting with me in the links below or on my website, www.peacefulworldschoolers.com. Thank you so much. And I hope that your day is as wonderful as you are. And I'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you. <laughs> Join us next Tuesday on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Harders. And if you enjoyed today's episode, click subscribe and be sure to hit the bell so you will not miss out on a single episode.